from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in for Tony today, and we are so glad that you have found us. A couple of reminders. You can find this program, every show, at TonyPerkins.com. So if you miss it live, don't forget to catch it later. Also, we encourage you to download the Stand Firm app on the on iTunes iTunes as well as the Google Play Store. Today on the program, we are going to talk with Congressman John Joyce about comments from Xavier Becerra indicating that there is no ban on partial birth abortion. Why did he say that? What does that tell us about the Biden administration? We're going to dig deep into the early part of the Biden administration on the issue of abortion. We're going to talk to Connell Semmelsberger about that as well. At the end of the program, former Senator Jim DeMint is going to join us to talk about the state of the country from his perspective, as well as tell us about a new book and how he hopes that can be part of the solution. But first, the headline for this week, 17 states have declared emergencies regarding the result of a six-day shutdown on the Colonial Pipeline, which transports about 45% of fuel consumed on the East Coast. While the federal government wants to take over elections and daycares, when it comes to this crisis, they want to defer to a private company. So first, we recognize that victims of cyber attacks often face a very difficult situation, and they have to just balance often the cost-benefit when they have no choice with regard to paying a ransom. Colonial is a private company, and we'll defer um, information regarding their decision on paying a ransom to them. Would the the administration offer any advice on whether or not to pay a ransom? So typically, that is a private sector decision, and the administration has not offered further advice at this time. That is Ann Newberger, the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technologies. With me now to talk about this issue is Congressman Ralph Norman, who serves the 5th District of South Carolina. Representative Norman is also a member of the Homeland Security Committee and the Committee on Oversight and Reform. Congressman, welcome back to the program. My pleasure. Thank you, Joseph. Well, first of all, what is your response to the comments you just heard from Ann Newberger that this is really something that the companies should be resolving themselves? You know, this this administration has no shame. What do they take responsibility for? Yes, as a private company, but it it shows you the vulnerability uh, of major components of our economy. Gas is one of them. They don't take ownership in anything. They ought to, the federal gov- government ought to be given some guidelines, uh, which they haven't had. Uh, President Biden uh, has not, you know, when he takes questions, he really doesn't have an answer other than we're going to try to fix it. Fix what? what? What are his plans? He's got every other priority for spending our tax dollars on anything but cybersecurity. I haven't seen it in any of the bills that we pass. He's too busy uh, bailing out cities that have been mismanaged. Uh, he's, do, he's too busy giving uh, contracts to people that uh, are of, of the Green New Deal. Uh, and he's not dealing with the crisis. This is one of many crises that he's just ignoring, like the border uh, and like so many others that uh, he just doesn't take ownership with. Whether he doesn't understand it, I, I don't know, but it's not being handled. 
What is your advice to the Biden administration at this point? How can this be something that we, we resolve quickly, but also prevent from happening in the future? A couple of things. First thing you can do is open up the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, under President Trump, we were exporting oil and natural gas. We were the number one exporter. Uh, it, it makes no sense to buy uh, something as important as gas uh, from foreign countries that don't like us. Uh, just because he sold out to the Green New Deal philosophy of, you know, the world ending in 10 years, that's no no reason to uh, uh, to not open up the pipeline and let's, let's use our, our God-given natural resources that this country has to uh, get this economy open. Uh, secondly, the taxpayers don't deserve the high prices that they're going to be paying. I tell, I hear outrage from people all over. It's, uh, you know, we were at 220, 230. Uh, it's up 40 and 50 percent. Uh, so that's the byproduct uh, of open, having the, the Keystone Pipeline. But as far as cybersecurity, uh, one thing the federal government can do is put in guidelines and make it a priority. China is not going to stop uh, or Russia or any other foreign country that does not have our best interest at heart. They're not going to stop trying to do what they do best, which is try to invade this country, try to tap our, uh, you know, all of our services that mean so much to this country, and to be shut down on the East Coast and to have the 17 states that um, that are basically out of gas. We're running 50, 55 percent, North Carolina, our border states are even higher. But uh, I would say put priorities to the cybersecurity, open up the, the pipeline, and make it a priority. Uh, we only have so much money to go around, and as of today, it's, not, it's never been a uh, priority, as you can see from the results. I think you make a fair point that diversification in our uh, in our fuel supply can only be helpful as we move forward. But also, I hope that that we are learning that this is a this is a front on uh, on on the war that nations will have with each other and rogue agents like we may be dealing with in this case. But certainly, every single supply line becomes a vulnerability when technology is such a critical part of the infrastructure. Now, I want to talk to you a moment about how the States are handling this. 17 states have declared a state of emergency. Very practically, for those who might not understand um, why that happens, what benefit do states get when they declare a state of emergency on an issue like this? Well, I'm sure we'll, you know, the states will be applying for aid from the federal government. But you know, the federal government, I think we're running a deficit uh, this year with the spending on the coronavirus all the, the spending plans that uh, this, this president is, is putting through executive order effectively because Republicans don't have anything to do with it. Uh, $6.7 trillion, which is better, bigger than our budget this year, uh, we are, that is added to the $30 trillion that we're uh, in the red on now. Uh, so I'm sure they'll ask for uh, some relief like uh, has been done with the COVID relief, but uh, this is completely avoidable. Uh, if they had had a priority earlier and to shut to, to come out of the pandemic uh, a year and a half and now to face this crisis is too much for the taxpayers to bear both in their wallet. It's just in filling a car up. This is all the products that are delivered to the grocery store, the packages. Uh, and so it's a huge pay cut to every American, particularly on the East Coast. Um, so, you know, the the a lot of conservatives uh, that I serve with in the Freedom Caucus, we're not going to vote for bailout packages. 
uh, we're done with that. And this, with this administration is on steroids when it comes to spending with no cuts. Now, we saw early in the coronavirus uh, situation the hoarding that happens of products once people believe there's going to be a shortage. Do you think that declaring a national emergency in any way, or a, a state emergency, a state of emergency, excuse me, contributes in any way to the psychological impact that has on consumers that leads them to hoard gas? Is that something that maybe in the future shouldn't be done as a way of trying to conserve the supply? Well, each state has to judge that. And, you know, for a lot of people, it, it is a national emergency. Now, it's only been a week now, but I would argue that it's going to take another week to get everything online if it's true that they're going to be have it up and running. Gas will be, uh, will be produced and back in the stations all across the southeast. But um, it's going to be, the, you know, when you have that many uh, store stations that are completely out of gas, it's just going to take time. Now, is it going to be two weeks, three weeks? Uh, I don't know. But I think it's it's natural when you see an administration that's just not putting a, a uh, it's not putting any emphasis on it and not making it a priority. You know, the for the Biden administration to say that's private and he has nothing to do with it. Uh, you know, each one of those 17 states pays taxes to the federal government. And each one of those states have come out of a, a time period that's like no other in this, in this country that we faced with the coronavirus. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's a natural thing to do because they just don't, they see words, but they don't see action. Now, Secretary Granholm has been helping to manage the federal government's response to this. I want to change subjects with you for a moment because you recently wrote a, elect, a letter uh, about some investments that she has in an electric vehicle company. Tell us more about that letter and why you thought that was an important issue to raise. Well, first of all, uh, she's Secretary of Energy. Proterra produces electric cars. Uh, they have a plant in Greenville, South Carolina, which is in my home state of South Carolina with roughly 600 employees total. Um, Secretary Granholm has got stock options to the tune of 240000 She served on the board of directors. Mm -hmm. uh, she has not divested herself uh, per the ethics committee. Uh, she had a president who, oh, by the way, just happened to do a virtual visit, which uh, is, if that's not highly uh, suspicious, it's unethical uh, if if this thing continues with the president t picking companies that uh, her, you know, the people that she, he appointed uh, sit on a board. Um, and so... You know, I wrote a letter saying we would like to see, one, your uh, divestiture plan, two, uh, any correspondence that you had with the president, which she says she has none, uh, had no interaction with him coming to uh, doing the virtual tour of Proterra. Uh, Joseph, there are 20 other companies that produce electric cars. Uh, and probably more if it if, if it's uh, if if the government mandates that uh, we go to electric cars, but uh, we asked for the paperwork, we asked for the um, the uh, any correspondence that she had, uh, January from January twentieth, which this president was inaugurated. You know, this is May thirteenth. It's high time we learned something, and I'm on the oversight committee, and we'd love to have her testify mm -hmm. and uh, give some um, some answers to what I think is a very question and it's ethical uh, how she's not looking at it that way. I have no idea why it's a nonchalant issue. 
Based on your experience on the Oversight Committee, how big of a problem do you believe self-dealing is in Washington, D.C.? It's a big problem. That's why, that's why politicians are not held in high regard. This is what turns people off in politics. Uh, not only must it be right, it must appear to be right. This is, is neither. I, I think um, uh, my, if, if it had been the end of the Trump administration, the mainstream media would have crucified mm-hmm. him and any, anybody that did that. Uh, but no, she owes an answer. Uh, you're not talking about a small amount of money. You're talking about something that she has an ethical obligation to explain and then ultimately to divest herself of, of the stock options, which, by the way, they just merged with Arclight for a billion six. And uh, the, she stands to gain with her stock options a lot of money. Uh, and I've heard five million dollars and you can do the math if it, if it goes even higher. But uh, it just uh, I don't think it is right. And it doesn't appear to be right. And she owes an explanation. Very quickly, we have about one minute left. One final subject. Governor McMaster in South Carolina recently declined federal ben- unemployment benefits beginning at the end of June uh, in order to not compete with companies. What are your thoughts on his decision there? He did the right thing, Joseph. If the businesses all over that can't hire, uh, don't have enough workers, you have equipment that people are paying lease payments on that they can't get anybody to drive them. Uh, you have McDonald's stores, which uh, gave me a $13 limit because they had two people working in the store. You can multiply that all over South Carolina, and it's not right for government to pay people to sit at home while businesses that pay taxes don't have enough people to, to run the business. Congressman, thank you so much for your time and joining us today on Washington Watch. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And coming up after the break, we are going to talk to another congressman, Congressman John Joyce, about comments from Xavier Becerra about partial birth abortion. Are they going to defend the law or not? We'll talk about it after the break. What is Roe versus Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, 
family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. Yesterday, the Subcommittee on Health of the House Committee on Energy and Commerce held a virtual hearing on the fiscal 2022 budget. And during the hearing, HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra was repeatedly, Javier Becerra, excuse me, was repeatedly asked questions about the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. The reason he was probed on this multiple times was because he initially denied the existence of the law and then sidestepped questions about whether he would enforce it. Partial birth abortions are prohibited right now under current statute, and that is something that you recognize, correct, Mr. Secretary? Congressman, as as I said, uh, I recognize that the law provides women with reproductive rights and that uh, the Roe v. Wade decision made very clear under what circumstances women can exercise those rights. I will do everything I can to make sure we comply with precedent and the law when it comes to protecting a woman's right to her reproductive health. And that does include enforcing this statute, correct? I will make sure that we are providing women with the protections they need on their reproductive rights. With me now to actually give us some answers on this question is one of the members of that committee who asked some of these questions, Congressman John Joyce. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Joseph, it's great to be with you and to address this very important issue. Well, tell us from your perspective, when you were part of this dialogue and and heard uh, the secretary's responses, what was your reaction? Secretary Becerra flat out refused to acknowledge that partial birth abortion is prohibited under federal law. I'm a doctor, Joseph. I know what partial birth abortion is. It's literally prohibited by name in statute. Quote, partial birth abortions prohibited. And this confirms, Joseph, what we feared all along, that under Joe Biden's leadership, that the government officials are going to refuse to follow the law of the land. Now, tell us a little bit about when the history of the partial birth abortion ban, because you're right, it is in law. It's odd that he would deny that. Where did it come from? Uh, the origins of it uh, are codified in statute. It's Section 1531 of Title 18. My background is as a doctor, and I understand the sanctity of human life. Secretary Becerra is an attorney 
who has a long history of working in the government and should, should certainly be aware of that statute and the fact yeah. that we had to turn it around and talk to him and identify it, that it's codified as a statute by name in law right now. I understand that the dignity of life is a fundamental truth. It's guaranteed by our Constitution. And I wanted to hear where Secretary Becerra was going to land on this. And unfortunately, it's what we all suspected, that the Biden administration is a pro-abortion administration that will not follow the statute of the land. Well, Secretary Becerra's nomination process was one of the most hotly contested and, of, and one of the most opposed, though he was ultimately confirmed. But one of the things that came up in that in the conversation during in the committee was the suggestion that he made that partial birth abortion isn't actually a thing that the medical profession recognizes. Therefore, it can't really be banned and regulated. What's your response to that? It's what I responded to him during the hearing, Joseph that I'm a physician and all people in medicine understand what a partial birth abortion is. I think he dodged the real issue. I think he showed truly that he was a pro-abortion arm of the current administration and he wasn't willing to follow the law. Now, now tell us, is this an issue where he is expected to be defending this law? How did this come up in the course of the conversation? Because it's, it's part of the fabric of what is guaranteed by any administrator in Biden's cabinet. And he should be keenly familiar with what these laws state. And the fact that he initially chose to say, I don't recall or I don't know what this law is. And then when we turned around and said, look, this is Section 1531 of Title 18 of the U.S. Code, he pivoted and talked about protecting women's uh, access to health care. That wasn't what the question was. The question that I posed to the secretary of HHS is, would you acknowledge the partial birth abortions are prohibited under law? And he would not acknowledge that. It didn't surprise us, but I'll tell you, Joseph, it gravely disappoints me that the Biden administration puts into positions of leadership individuals, attorneys who will not follow the statute, which are in the U.S. Code. Why do you think he went to such lengths to deny or ignore the fact that this statue exists? Why is it such I a sensitive speak, issue for him? Yeah, I can't speak for him, but I'll tell you what I see. I see the Democrats continuing to reverse the progress that was made under President Trump's leadership. The most pro-life president that we've had. The president, when we marched for life, here in Washington, D.C., the first president to come and address the pro-life people who were there. I can't imagine how anyone couldn't understand that these are basic tenets guaranteed by our Constitution. President Trump did. He advocated for the pro-life agenda. And what we're seeing and what I am so concerned about is that President Biden is actively working to reverse the pro-life agenda that was successfully achieved by President Trump in his administration. Do you think that his discomfort with partial birth abortions in particular has to do with how vulnerable the abortion industry is because of that position where defending partial birth abortion really makes them, even in the public's mind, there's lots of, there's lots of data that suggests the public is not generally supportive of, of partial birth abortion. Do you think that has anything to do with why he simply dodged the issue and tried not to answer the questions? 
I think that the Democrats are even refusing to address what we in the House of Representatives have brought up in the last Congress and brought up again the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. And that ensures that babies who are born alive after a botched abortion that receive basic medical care. And yet Nancy Pelosi doesn't allow that to come to a vote. Joseph, this shouldn't even be a question. And yet Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats refuse to bring life-saving legislation to the House floor. In the House, we're continuing to gather support for this discharge petition. And you need to hear about this. I want everyone to look this up. Do your internet search about the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. It's a discharge petition that is signed by every member of the Republican Party. It's something that we're advocating for and it needs to be addressed. We continue to move this forward and Cong ask Speaker Pelosi to address Congressman this life-saving legislation. We are at a hard break. I got to let you go, but really appreciate your advocacy for life. And we look forward to talking to you, talking to you soon. We'll get back to this right after the break. Thank you, Joseph. Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. So thankful that you're with us. We just got done with a conversation with Congressman John Joyce, who was part of the committee that was discussing partial birth abortion with Javier Becerra and got some really unsatisfactory answers. Now to continue this conversation and find out if Secretary Becerra is the only aggressive, enthusiastic pro-abortion advocate in the Biden administration is Connor Semmelsberger. Connor, welcome to the program again. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, great to be on, Joseph. Well, tell us, we just heard this 
negative, discouraging report about Javier Becerra basically wanting to deny that partial, partial birth abortion really is even a thing or that there's a or even recognize that there's a law against it. Is he the only one in the administration? Far from it. This actually is what we think is the most pro-abortion cabinet and undersecretaries we've ever seen in our nation's history. HHS secretary, as you heard, the most pro-abortion advocate, all the way down to energy secretary, transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, right? We know what his record is from him campaigning for president in 2020. So almost all facets of the federal government are radical pro-abortion activists, some groomed right from Planned Parenthood themselves, NARAL, Pro-Choice America, CEOs, you name it. That's who's filling Biden's cabinet. Is that surprising? Because Biden, you know, for a long time was considered the moderate and he had like this moderate position on 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 a Hyde Amendment, I guess mm-hmm. was the one thing he was kind of not aggressively pro abortion on. How is it that this guy who tried to position himself most of his career as a moderate on abortion comes up with a with an administration that is so aggressively pro abortion? Yeah, so we really saw this creep, you know, early 2000s, jockeying self to be the VP. He's that under Obama. You know, he's really grown himself into that pro-abortion mold. But the the, the flips, the script flipped completely. Hyde Amendment, no longer. Nope, I don't yeah. want to support this pro-life protection. And then you're right. It's just gone to the extreme. So it, it's not surprising, right? We knew where the Democratic Party has gone, and he just had to be the, the torchbearer for this. Whatever he believes himself, we have no idea. Yeah. But what we know is he's putting implementing true policies that undermine pro-life protections across America. Is this connected to the comments that that AOC made, I don't know, a week or two ago, where she was basically like, well, he's actually been better than we expected, which from our perspective is not good. If she's happy with it, that's not going to be good for us, right? But basically she was saying that he's not, this is not moderate old Joe Biden. This is actually pretty radically progressive Joe Biden doing bidding for the left is is this kind of connected to that in general that he's really not driving the ship in the first place I think that's exactly right you think of the vice president Kamala Harris we know her record just recently from the Senate senator from California how pro-abortion she is but it's beyond that it's really just that that ideology just so steep AOC the Bernie Sanders Mm -hmm. platform which is abortion for all no matter what reason paid for by taxpayer dollars on demand and and yeah we we've it's it's just past 100 days we've already broken records in terms of funding for abortion advocacy overseas in just 100 days what took obama almost eight years to accomplish he's already exceeded that and so we we can't even know what to expect in the years to come but i think that's exactly right there is someone beyond just president joe up there running this this pro-abortion ship And, and, and i do think you know he's a I don't, is he actually an octogenarian? He's pretty close to this. But the idea that, you know, moderate, friendly, old, happy Joe Biden, like he prioritizes everything the abortion lobby wants and then kind of all the transgender stuff. It, it doesn't make sense to me when I think about who this guy is. But when you realize he's probably not actually calling the shots and, and he's kind of he's working for a team of people who are basically like, Joe, this is what we need you to do because we got you elected. Then it begins to make more sense. Tell us a little bit more about what it is that you're tracking uh, on the life issues. You mentioned how terrible the first 100 days have been. What's coming? Yeah, so one thing I really want to draw attention to. So it was a pro-life victory under Trump, Title X family planning program, millions of dollars each year for family planning across the country. Trump reformed the program so that it could no longer go to abortion businesses. Planned Parenthood withdrew. They sacrificed a lot of money. One of the top priorities for the Biden administration coming is rewriting that so millions of dollars can flow back to the abortion industry. One catch, though, so we know Planned Parenthood supported Joe Biden's presidency, and in his party platform, he mentioned, oh, 
one of my policy platforms is to send money back to Planned Parenthood, an organization, mm -hmm. breaching tons of federal laws against abortion lobbying and such. So this regulation, though, is a proposed rule that uh, you folks at home can comment on. Let the government know. Do you want your taxpayer dollars funding Planned Parenthood or not? So you can reach that on our action page and, and make a comment. That closes Monday, May 17th, so it's coming up quick. But this, this is a great way for folks to engage and let the federal government know what policies you do support and which ones you are directly opposed to. Where, where can people find that page and make that comment? Yeah, so on, on frcaction.org, you can find all our action alerts, but specifically this one on Title 10 and, again, making sure Planned Parenthood does not receive our taxpayer dollars. But beyond that, we have a broader source called frcaction.org slash Biden, one-stop shop, everything you need to know about the Biden administration, his policies on life, family, religious freedom, the personnel he supported, like mm -hmm. uh, Javier Becerra and the others I mentioned, and then also his historical record. You'll also find there the fact that he has supported the partial birth abortion ban that we were just talking about year after year as a senator from Delaware. So all that's right on frcaction.org slash Biden. And I also know that we're heading into appropriations season here in Washington, D.C. Are there life-specific issues that you're going to be tracking? Yes. Process. So this appropriation process is where the government takes all of your federal taxpayer dollars and funds the government for the whole next year. Really big process. So we're tracking a lot. The Hyde Amendment protects taxpayer funds for abortions. The Helms Amendment oversees abortions and conscience protections for health care providers all in our federal laws. But the fight happens every single yeah. year. We need to stand up every single year for these riders. And this is probably the biggest fight we've ever undergone in 40 plus years. And so we'll be right at the forefront of that, making sure we protect the consciences of American people. Was the best place people can track that. Yep. Again, on FRC.org, you'll see a lot of our resources tracking all these bills. And hopefully by the time they're passed in September, government's not shut down and the Hyde Amendment's intact. Connor Samuelsberger, thank you so much for being with us. Glad to be here. And we are going to come back and continue this conversation, kind of. We're going to talk to former Senator Jim DeMint about how his book, Can We Restore Judeo-Christian Values to America, through a book. He's got a great new book. Satan's Desire. It's a novel. We'll talk to him about why he wrote it, what he sees for America, right after the break. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history. And it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org slash Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality, 
by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org slash Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today, and we hope that you are enjoying the rest of your week, and we hope that you also have gas, because that's a problem for a lot of people on the East Coast of the United States. We are awaiting the arrival of our next guest, Senator Jim, De- former Senator Jim DeMint, who is going to talk to us about his new book, Satan's Dare, but I'm getting signs in my ears that we do not yet have him. So the wonders of technology is doing what it's going to do, and we're going to grab him. And Senator DeMint is going to help us understand what's going on in America, because indeed, um, the challenges that we're facing are complex. And we we deal, when we think about this week, just what we've dealt with this week with with gas shortages, gas prices, the hoarding that's going on, and even the response to this, and we talked about this a little earlier in the program, about why it is that people hoard things when they feel like they need things. And we saw this most acutely probably in the last year uh, during the early stages of the coronavirus lockdowns when everybody thought we weren't going to have anything. And what did everybody go get? Everybody went and got toilet paper. They got reams and reams and reams of toilet paper. And then some people couldn't get toilet paper anymore. Why did they do this? Because they felt like there was a shortage and something they weren't going to have. And I, to me, that in part... Uh, indicates the challenges that America has with where our hope is placed and that we really feel like that when we're in trouble, what do we need to do most? We need to go get toilet paper or we need to go get gas. And of course, these things are useful to our lives. But the fact of the matter is um, we have to be able to deal with the unexpected in a constructive and hopeful way. And it's one of the things that a Christian worldview does for people is it allows us to put our hope in something that is eternal and something that is not temporary. Because if we do not expect the unexpected when the unexpected happens, it derails us. And one of the things that a Christian worldview teaches us is that we should expect bad things to happen. 
Jesus promised us that. He said that in this world you will have trouble, but do not be afraid, for I have overcome the world. It's very different from a secular worldview. Our hope is in the fact that we have been redeemed by Jesus, and ultimately our world is going to be restored in the next life, if not this one. What that allows us to do is whether it's toilet paper shortages or fuel shortages or elections that don't go the way we want them to, it allows us to be hopeful in spite of the circumstances of that moment, in spite of the circumstances of that day. But secularists, people who don't have their hope in Jesus, don't have that opportunity. So when bad things happen in this life, they don't have the hope that things are going to get better. And because of that, we panic. And a Christian worldview allows people to avoid panic because because it allows us to put our hope in the fact that this is not as bad as it's going to get. This is, in fact, the worst it's ever going to get, and it is going to get better. And one of the things, and that's one of the things I intend to discuss, and I believe we now have our next guest, uh, former Senator Jim DeMint, who is with us. Jim, are you there? I am certainly here. Thanks for having me today. We got you. We are so glad that you have joined us and rescued your audience, our audience, from (laughs) me. So thank you again for joining us because I was just, I I was talking about uh, the context that I think that you are bringing your book uh, to. And before we get to the details of the book, I'd like you to explain why it is that you wrote us, wrote the book, and what do you, what's your perspective on how things are going in America right now? Well, I think America is declining because the Christian church is declining, and the Christian church is declining because we're not defending the basics of our faith. Uh, we're, we're not even uh, arguing the fact that there is a God, and God created this world. Um, the Bible is true. Uh, Jesus is the only way to salvation. These are basics that you don't hear from the, the church today. And it says in Psalms that when the foundations are removed, what will the righteous do? And so I've just realized over the years that all we're doing in Washington is fighting with symptoms. And at the same time, the foundations are being removed. So this book, it, it, while it's a novel, as Josh McDowell said, it has more truth in it than any nonfiction he's he's ever read. Uh, it because it, it has characters who are real life. They're dealing with real questions, real struggles about why God created this earth. Why do we have to go through suffering? What is the role of a, the Christian in the body of Christ? And all of this comes down to the idea of what is true. Uh, we know from the Bible that if we know Jesus, we'll know the truth. That will set us free. We talk a lot about freedom in this country, but if we don't know the truth, and believe me, today we can't even agree on basic truths um, here in Washington. Uh, if we don't know how to get freedom, if we don't know the truth, um, then this country is going to continue to decline. I think there's a lot of people watching who are going to agree with you, and, and, and we've seen that happen already, the connection uh, between walking away from God, walking away from truth, and then you, you reap the results of that. Because if there is no truth, there is no virtue, and if, and, and if there's no virtue, then you have a, a society that behaves yeah. as if there is no virtue. Now, the title of your book is Satan's Dare. Tell us about where that came from. 
Well, Satan's dare is from the first chapter of Job, where Satan dares God to remove the blessings that he has given to Job. Essentially, he says, if you don't bless Job, he'll curse you to his face. And the implication is he will worship me. And one of the theories in the book is that Job represents all of mankind and, in fact, gives us the motive of why God created this physical world and why we have to go through it. Satan has challenged him, has dared him to allow his people to suffer and go through all the the things we have to in this physical world. Uh, He's betting that we will curse God and follow Satan. So what we say in the book, what the conclusion is, is when individual Christians, when the body of Christ, when we pray, when we praise, when we worship God, despite the suffering, the pain, the tragedies that we have in this physical world, we prove Satan wrong and we justify God's action in in saving us and forgiving us of our sins. Well, you've done a lot in your life, and and I can't help but think that there's some part of this that is somewhat autobiographical, where you're sharing your own experiences. Have you been through that experience yourself, of where you felt like you were being dared to deny God? Oh, yeah, many times, and uh, I didn't come to the Lord until I was 25, so I had a lot of time wandering in the wilderness uh, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot in here that not only I've experienced, but I've seen in my life. Uh, the two characters that are uh, the most prominent in the book are both pastors. They go through terrible tragedies. One becomes the world's most famous atheist. The other struggles. He wrestles with God, but he clings to his faith. And these two end up debating about what is real, what is true. Is the Bible true? Did God really create the earth? And it's a, a, a fascinating debate. Uh, I really think if Christians read it, it will confirm their faith. And if skeptics read it, it will challenge them to search for the truth. Do you think that these conversations about reality, about the nature of reality, where did we come from, what's the purpose of our lives, are these conversations that, that people are having enough in America, or are we kind of ignoring the biggest questions? Oh, I think we're afraid of the biggest questions. And I think a lot of people who call themselves Christians are afraid to ask questions because they're not sure there's any answers. And so in a lot of ways, as one of the characters says in the book, Christians have a Santa Claus God. Uh, they want to believe he's real, but in their mind, they they don't think he is. And that's, in effect, what we're teaching our children uh, five days a week in, in public schools there is no God. We're all accidents of nature. We came by random evolution. On Sunday, we say God is great. He created the world. Uh, we've created a lot of confusion. But what this book will show people is if you ask the questions, if you dig in, if you're willing to listen to different theories and ideas, you'll come away knowing for certain that God created this world and why we're here. Uh, one of the theories in the world is that uh, there is no time in, in, in heaven, in the spiritual world. This war between God and Satan, good and evil, are going on all the time. And we're all participants in that, uh, in this physical world. And so we may actually, as a body of Christ, have an impact on how it all turns out. It's just a different perspective on, on what what our role is as believers, as children of God, and as a whole body of Christ. 
Now, you said something, you hinted at something that resonates with me is the idea that too many people in the church don't have the ability to have these hard conversations. Even if their kids ask them or if a friend or a coworker comes to them with one of these deep questions, they don't necessarily have a good answer themselves. Why is it that do you think that so many people in the church feel unprepared to give great answers to these hard questions? Well, a lot of us don't know the Bible as well as we should. Uh, in church, you don't actually deal with the conflicting questions, the contradictions between what seems to be credible science and, and, and what the Bible says. And that's what we struggle with throughout this book. And I think if people go through the struggle that we, we see these characters, uh, having, we'll realize that's a struggle we have in our own heart and that we can get a lot of answers because in fact, uh, science doesn't contradict the Bible. In fact, it's a proof that a lot of it is true. And, and if, if we really know the facts, science has proved that it's essentially statistically impossible that all of this world, this life, and, and molecular structures happened by accident. It could not have happened by accident. So what what did happen? Let's talk about it. The Bible says the world uh, God created in six days. Was it six real days? Was it six periods? Or did God do it another way uh, and just use the metaphor to, to talk about how it's created? None of these things should threaten Christians because it... It frankly doesn't matter what you believe about how you interpret that. What what matters is that you know God created this earth. He created all of us. He loves us. He has a purpose for our lives. And I just, I just and again, I'm just convinced that we we need to address this as the body of Christ so that all of us are confident in what we believe. And we can challenge this woke culture that doesn't believe anything is true. What they believe is whatever they believe is the truth. Whatever they believe is reality. That doesn't make any sense. And we, we need to have the confidence to go out there and, and say, God does have a way to do things. There is absolute truth. But if you look at the left today, they can't take anything that's absolute, whether it's absolute truth, absolute morality, an absolute border. Uh, they have to be able to change right. anything in their mind. So this is... While it's not a political book at all, it has huge implications on American politics. I, I agree with you that this idea of personal truth, your truth, my truth, uh, it's really convenient to believe that, yeah. but it's also yeah. completely irrational on, on any assessment of, of what the concept of truth is. Truth cannot be personal by virtue of being truth, because if it's personal, then it's not truth. It's, it's merely an opinion. But you, exactly. you're obviously taking on skeptics. And, yes. and skepticism is, of course, not a bad thing. And, and we want to have answers for skeptics. But in, in your experience or maybe just your opinion, do you think people are skeptics because they ha they don't see evidence to believe or because they don't want to believe? Well, it, it's it's a little of both. And they don't know. I mean, most Americans have grown up being taught in schools that. Uh, of accidental origins, random evolution, uh, and that God is kind of a nice thing to think about, but probably not really true, certainly not relevant to what we do every day. Uh, and for the Christian, we can't accept that. If God is real, uh, he's real in everything. And, and, and if 
it, this this life is very short when you look at it in the scheme of things. So we're all going on to the next chapter. Uh, I'm just challenging people. Let's think about it. Uh, have you made reservations for the next stop? <laughs> let's talk about it in the church. We should. The truth is never afraid of questions. And that's I've been a skeptic. I still am. I go through the Bible and look at what does it really say. Uh, I know that a lot of Bible scholars won't like this book because it comes up with theories that a lot of them uh, are, it's not traditional thinking. Uh, but I've never been traditional, and, and that's not what drives me. But what drives me is what is true. I'm convinced that the words in the Bible are absolute truth. But there are a lot of ways to interpret things, and you really have to look at it closely to understand. And, and I think science has helped us see what God is trying to tell us in many circumstances. So it's, it's a challenge to bring science in, bring the Bible in, and figure out where the alignment is, but okay. because there's too much evidence that the Bible is true, and um, it, it's time that Christians have confidence in what they believe. We've got one minute left, one final question. Why is it that you believe reestablishing truth and reestablishing Scripture as the basis of truth is the best hope for our country? Well, we forget that Western civilization is all built on Judeo-Christian values that are, that are built on the Bible that comes straight from the time of Jesus. All of time is measured from when Jesus lived. And so there couldn't be anything more foundational to what we believe as Americans, just basic ideas of absolute truth, absolute morality, compassion, charity, um, enterprise, uh, hard work, self-reliance, these things that have made America great all come from the Bible. And if we throw that out, there's really n nothing to base uh, what we believe on except what we think. Jim DeMint, thank you so much for your time. The book is Satan's Dare. Go pick it up. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time on uh, Washington Watch. Appreciate it very much. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.